0: This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 1037 The Game.
1: And good morning, everybody. Welcome to Under the Dome with CD. Two hours of just amazing sports talk. And
0: we got a lot to cover.
2: There's good news and bad news. The bad news is we're not going to get to it all right
3: here, right now. But the good news is, is I got the time.
1: You're damn right we got the time. Two hours of great sports talk. And we're coming to you live, as always, from the first South Farm Credit Studios.
0: Baby, we're looking good. Woo!
1: Oh, we certainly are looking good. Mind you, you can't see it. We're not on the cast like all the other shows. But we're right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 A Game, dare I say, the Tower of Power on the fm dial the tower of power too sweet to be
0: sour i'm funky like a monkey sky's the limit and space is the place oh
1: yeah and appreciate you listening if you're on that fm dial or better yet you're listening in through the free mobile app the dot com smart speakers whatever there's a billion different ways to check us out and we appreciate you doing so hell of a way to start off a louisiana saturday morning especially after some some things happened Friday night, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later because why the heck not? But we got a lot of stuff to get to. And if you want to call the show, 337 706 0111. 337 706 0111. I'm in a good mood. I'm, I'm a lot like Kevin Foote. It's a glorious Saturday morning. The Astros won. And again, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that maybe towards the end of the show, the cool stuff that happened. But also, I'm going to have Ross Jackson on. At 1130, can't wait to talk to him about what's going on with the New Orleans Saints after a loss on Saturday night to the the Baltimore Ravens. Then you take on the Jacksonville Jaguars on Monday night, which is weird in and of itself. I'll probably talk talk about that a little bit later. But it's really fun just to think about everything that's going on in and around the world of sports right now. And it's all kind of colliding. But let's get down to brass tacks here. Because I saw this pop up over the last couple days. And these reports that are being brought up are very intriguing. Now, what am I talking about? I'm talking about an alliance. Uh, Like how, if you've seen The Office, you know what I'm talking about. Would you like to form an alliance? That's where we're at right now if you're a college football fan. I've got some thoughts on it. So let's go ahead and get into it with your Saturday sports sermon.
0: The famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. Oh, testify! It's time for your Saturday sports sermon.
1: Never in a million years would I think that three conferences that are so different would unite under any circumstances, but that is where we're headed, according to some reports from the good old S-words in the world. Not, not the word I can't say on the air. But the sources, those wonderful people that have sources, is apparently the Big Ten, the ACC, and the Pac-12 are expected to formally announce an alliance between those three leagues in the next seven to ten days, and obviously keeping the SEC and what remains of the Big 12 once Texas and Oklahoma jump ship out of the proverbial playground. And I like where in pro wrestling, the forbidden door has not just been left open, but kicked down to the point where we're seeing more crossover between promotions than in an Avengers movie. There's a new era of college football, and it's being pushed to its proverbial limits with talks of this alliance. And it's kind of weird to think about, because it's just these three. Like I've talked about it before, where I think eventually they'll have to all conglomerate, But it feels like the battle lines are being drawn. The Big Ten, the Pac-12, who were two conferences that were in lockstep down the proverbial aisle when it comes to their plans for the college football season. A lot of their concerns were justifiably so. Maybe you could have waited, and again, really proves why we need a czar of college football when it's all said and done. But seeing these three, because the Big Ten and Pac-12 feel like they're arm-in-arm in certain things. Mind you, the Pac-12 haven't necessarily been relevant in terms of the national conversation for about, what, seven or eight years. Since Marcus Mariota and Oregon crushed Jameis Winston and Florida State in the first college football playoff semifinal matchup, and then eventually got beat down by Ohio State, man, that was an underwhelming time. We had the first ever college football playoff, and it just wasn't, like, it didn't pop as well as maybe you would have liked it to be but it is what it is but these three partnering up i mean the ACC feels like it would have been made it would have made more sense to be bedfellows with the SCC but the battle lines are being drawn a lot more differently than i thought but i think it's the fact that the SCC was the first to make that move to get two big name programs in Texas and Oklahoma to jump ship from the big 12 to the SEC, with the expectation they're going to be making some serious dinero. If you're Texas or Oklahoma, spoilers they will, because they just signed a massive contract extension with the SEC for the four letter network to where they're getting billion, not million, billion with a B. They're getting that right now with this new deal that's going to be coming up. Now it feels like if you're not the sec you're joining this strange but it's potentially a dangerous alliance it won't be a merger i i think because it would be really weird to have an alliance a a conference that reaches from california and oregon uh, all the way towards like new york in the case of syracuse it's mind-boggling i thought maybe again I think regional territory type stuff works. I've talked about it before. I'm not going to go into detail on that whole thing. But this is also going to be an attempt to boost their conference's reputation. I'm almost certain we'll be seeing a lot like how we see in college basketball, the SEC Big 12 Challenge. This will be more akin to that for football, where the ACC, the Pac-12, and the Big 10 are going to partner together and play against each other. Iron's gonna sharpen iron and make those conferences look better in terms of building your non-conference schedule and making sure you can get the most marquee matchups and boost your reputation for TV deals, which are probably coming up for a lot of a lot of conferences. But it's also to do this guarantee a couple more seats at the table when the college football playoff inevitably expands. He said, at the end of the day, it's all about the rich continuing to get richer, and the little man, in terms of the group of five programs, continues to get bogged down. That's what it sounds like to me. And mind you, it may be the fact I am a Cajun, I've been a Cajun's fan for a long time, and I can definitely see it from my perspective. I can understand where they're coming from, because again, it's all about the money, and they are going to be getting a lot of money in the house. So I'm looking forward to it to seeing how it all turns out if this thing is actually true. But it speaks to something I talked about a couple weeks ago. On top of the Cajuns, they deserve to be acknowledged a little bit better than they were. The AP Bowl came out. They're still towards the bottom part of that top 25, which is a slap in the face if we're being honest. We got programs like Cajuns and I guess I can say Coastal Carolina deserves to be recognized a little bit more and acknowledged for being a really good team heading into this year. But they're still in the bottom rung of the top 25. When you have teams in the Power 5 conferences, I think Iowa State speaks out, screams out to me, saying like they're way too highly ranked. They get a free pass because they get that clout of being a Big 12 or an SEC team. LSU, after having a 5-5 five and five season, is preseason ranked in like the top fifteen, not knocking. I'm not knocking them because they absolutely have potential to have a great season. We'll talk about them later, but it makes you wonder what will it take if your LSU or or the Cajuns, I should say, what's it going to take for the Cajuns to be put into the top like twenty, top fifteen? You would have to pretty much run the table. It's a Herculean task. You've got a really tough schedule. You've got a program at Liberty that looks to be better. Hugh Freeze is building something really nice there. You've obviously got to get past App State again for the second straight year. You've only beaten them once before. It's a lot like LSU and Alabama. You've got to prove it, especially at home. They've, they've never beaten App State at home. There's a lot of questions. Next week, I'll put it all on wax. My predictions again. I'll reset my predictions game by game. Conference champions, all that stuff. It's definitely going to be a college football oriented show next week. Giving you a heads up now. But going back to the topic at hand, we're on the verge of a war in collegiate sports. And it's not just for the supremacy of college football. It's college athletics. It's the TV deals. Again, the SEC just locked down a billion dollar deal with the four letter network. And you don't think that other leagues want a piece of that proverbial pie, be it with Fox or maybe even NBC, if they want to kind of expand their coverage. Mind you, they're kind of retracting. They're no longer going to be having NBC Sports after this year. Everything's going to be moved over to Peacock. As a again, I talked about it last week. I'm a Premier League guy. I like Manchester United. I'm gonna to have to wake up early in the morning, to pull up the Peacock app, and watch some Premier League. Okay, I'll I'll swallow that bitter pill. But where is that opportunity to grow? Like the 4 network has the ACC network locked down into a deal. Could that be something that gets turned into something else? Bally Sports, what happens with them? Where did, where did they fit into the grand scheme of things? There's a lot of questions. We're on the verge of that. Then you also have everything going on with the NIL deals. You think about it. The conferences that get the most spotlight will get the biggest opportunity for these mega stars. Because that's what you're going to be competing for. You're competing not just to get your the best players on the best team, You're competing and showing, hey, you know, look at these guys. Like, for instance, Max Johnson, Miles Brennan, these guys have big endorsement deals with programs. I can tell you right now, that's something that's going to continue to be a thing to look at. And these programs and these recruits, like, I I think Arch, Arch Manning is one of them. Arch Manning is without a doubt going to be one of the biggest stars in his respective recruiting class. Now, I think there's going to be some decision to be made. When that decision gets made, I feel like he's going to go to the conference that has the most potential to give him not just an opportunity to win a championship, but more importantly, make him a good bit of money. Because at the end of the day, now he's got a golden opportunity. He's got the golden ticket. He's like Charlie in the chocolate factory. He's got the opportunity. He's got the golden ticket. Take advantage of it. That's where we're at. The war brewing in the conference in the college ranks will be far from civil. And honestly, as a fan of college sports, as a fan of athletics, give it to me. I want to see this be a full-blown like battle, because now because once that battle is done, once it become, no longer becomes the Wild Wild West, you're going to wind up seeing a lot of things go down, and it's going to be fun. So let the games begin in my book. Again, we're going to have Ross Jackson join the program at 1130. going to talk New Orleans Saints with him. We'll get to Saints probably more an hour or two. But we're going to talk Cajuns. We're going to talk LSU for the rest of the hour because there's so much to get to. I mean, we're 14 days away. 14 days away. Think about that. We're just that close to the start of college football. And I'm all the way here for it. We'll talk about that and so much more. If you want to get in in on the conversation, whatever it is, 337-706-0111, 337-706-0111. We'll be back after this right here on 103.7thegame and 103.7thegame.com.
0: Under the Dome with C D is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules, and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD yeah. who will break it all down for us.
1: And welcome back to Under the Dome with CD, right here on Acadiana Sports Station 1037 the Game and 1037theGame.com. Coming to you live from the first South Farm Credit Studios. Hopefully you're having a great one so far. I know I know I stream because I'm here with you. I got a lot we got a lot of things to get to. On the show, as I mentioned before, let's well, waste a little time. I want to talk about some stuff going on with Cajuns fall camp. Because I want to get into some stuff with them. Because we're 14 days away from probably one of the biggest games for the Cajuns in their in the, in the history of their program. And it's not just because of the fact that they're playing a program like Texas, but they're playing a program like Texas coming off of the most successful year in the history. Not just, you know, like, let's say, last 10 years but ever. They've never had a season quite like this before. And it's amazing to think about. They've never had a season like this. And now there's an opportunity where they could have another major win under their belt. An opportunity. That's all That's all the Cajuns are here for, is the opportunity. But the thing is... It's been relatively quiet lately. Nothing, like, I haven't heard anything of major injuries or any of that stuff. It's been relatively quiet. Now, mind you, sometimes the old saying is no news is good news. I think that speaks volumes if you're the Louisiana Raging Cages, You want to have as little, like, negativity, anything like that. You just want to avoid all that probably for the next, like, 20 years. You want to avoid that stuff because if you have especially this year. And one thing that I- I've thought about for a while, and just looking at it, the continuity this team has is impressive, and it's something that I've mentioned in the past. But this is a team that has so much continuity. While other teams we cover have the opposite situation, especially a quarterback. You look at it, Taysom Hill. You have that question: Who it is? Taysom Hill, Jameis Winston will probably try and crack that code based off of one preseason game in a little bit in the two, in the eleven o'clock hour. But more importantly, before Miles Brennan slipped up slipped up during a one last fishing trip before fall camp, the question was: Is it Miles or is it Max? Now we know it's Max. Now, if Miles Brennan comes back and he's healthy, hundred percent, ready to go and he starts out. He starts looking like Mac, Miles Brennan of old, and maybe Ed O'Drunk gives him a chance to win that job back. A different conversation for a different day. But when you look at the Cajuns, everything is largely the same. It's a lot like how the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were last year, or this season, I should say, where they got all-starting 22 back. There's a big reason why they're favored, according to the guys in the Desert, the experts out in Vegas, so I'm intrigued about all of that. But then you also think that I haven't heard much about who the guy could be that comes around after Levi Lewis leaves. Because obviously the quarterback position is probably the most important. I haven't heard a whole heck of a lot about Chandler Fields. And Chandler Fields is a guy out of Rummel, an absolute unit. He absolutely is a guy that you heard so much about all throughout the offseason, and it was probably going to be the crown jewel of that first full recruiting class for Billy Napier. Once he signed, everybody else started to follow suit. He's had plenty of time to be the understudy to the understudy, being a guy behind guys like Jave Magale, who's no longer with the team. A lot of these other guys, a lot of these other transfer quarterbacks, which has been the theme. I've seen a lot more these transfer guys work ahead of Chandler Fields, if you will, let him build up. Now I'm wondering, you know, because, like, what if somebody were to step up in a big way outside of Chandler Fields? Does Chandler Fields do what every other college student has done and jump ship, or does he – or is that going to be motivating for him to the point where he steps his game up and eventually winds up – Winning out of the job anyways. Because, one, I mean, I don't know. I have never really, I've never talked to Chandler Fields. I don't know what his personality is. Like, I don't know what it's been like with him, with the program. I haven't talked to him. But I'm wondering, does Fields have that Miles Brennan-like loyalty to Billy Napier and Crew like Brennan does to Ed Osher? Because that loyalty paid off. Don't forget, you know, Miles Brennan felt like he was one of those guys that could have taken over a few years ago just based off everybody's discussions. But obviously had to put a little bit more extra LBs on. And I want to see what happens with Chandler Fields. I don't want to see him transfer out because then you're kind of questioning, like, are we just going to start seeing, you know, Billy Napier start just more focusing on getting transfer QBs? To fill that void, a lot like some other programs do. Or is he going to be trying to build more homegrown talent, if you will? I think the right way to go about it is to get homegrown talent. But obviously, that's never really guaranteed if you're the Cajuns. It's never really guaranteed. I mean, case in point, you look back at Levi Lewis, how he started his career. He was a backup to the backup to the backup. He was basically like third string in a quarterback carousel that was absolutely insane. Like go back and look at it, look at his freshman campaign. He basically came in like probably a half hour before game day and became the, the guy. And he was saying he he was probably going to stick around for three years, and that was about it. He's sticking around. This is his fifth year. That's insane to think about. It really speaks to how much things change and priorities and all that stuff. Because he was saying he was going to graduate in three years. I think he probably I think he did. But at the end of the day, he was still more focused on obviously COVID kind of threw a wrench into some things and he probably knew maybe his opportunities in terms of getting into the league as a Cajun and after his junior season may not have been necessarily as great. So took another opportunity to take another year. And then because of the rules, he gets an extra, he gets another year to play football and go to school on a scholarship. And he's getting an NIL deal. He's without a doubt, like he has a chance to secure himself as one of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of the program. And that's saying something when you got guys like Jake DeLome in the mix. you got guys, I mean, Terrence Broadway, Blaine Gauthier. All those guys are probably some of the most top flight. And I'm probably missing some other names as well. Obviously, Brian Mitchell is in that convo. Obviously, he was more used as almost a Swiss Army knife when he went to the pros. But he still was a pretty damn good player. There's a lot of names. Levi Lewis is a golden opportunity. To be that guy. To fill that role. To be in that spot. And I'm looking forward to it. Now, when it comes to everything else on this team, I think the running back position, we've talked about before. It's the most, like, unstable because you don't have a stable. What's been the biggest thing for the Cajuns over the last couple years? Has been having either the Hydra or you've got a two-headed monster. You A few years ago, you had... Trey Regis, Raymond Calais, and Elijah Mitchell—you had literally the most elite, like three-headed monster you will, the Hydra you've ever seen in college sports, and it was amazing. Now you, last year you obviously just had Elijah Mitchell. Chris Smith came up, but I think Chris Smith became more of a weapon outside of his traditional role. Keyword there: traditional role as a running back. He was much more. Like well received and loved, I and mean, he got tons of preseason run, not because of his like running back ability, but because of his special teams return skills. That's where his bread is buttered. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that pans out. And guys like Amani Bailey are going to have to step up in a big way. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody like Ken again, this may be Homer Radio, but Kendra Williams is somebody to look at. The wide receiver core, we haven't heard much about that either, and like there hasn't been anything truly. Like outstanding, I think that's always a good thing. It's like not that truly outstanding, but you know things are going well with him. You're not hearing that Levi Lewis just is missing targets left and right, and maybe you're having a conversation about quarterback controversy. Not the case. You're seeing a lot of conversation about maybe some of the defensive guys, and things are working. They're they're working through some things, and I I still feel like probably ten and two. 11-1 is definitely still on. I think 10-2 and two is your, like, I'll say this. I think 10-2 and two is your balance take. It's, oh, wait, this is kind of where the bowling ball is. But your optimistic take for this team has to be 11-1. Undefeated is a pipe dream. It will always be a pipe dream, especially with the way things have to be Booked, if you will. The way things have to be scheduled. Where, In the case of the Cages, they want to have a spot at the college football playoff table. They've got to schedule really good opponents. Case in point, scheduling Texas, who is ranked in the top 20 preseason. They're a good program. I may say some things where I've said it in the past. I think the Cages have a chance. That's the key word. They have a chance to beat Texas but Texas is going to give them a lot of hell, especially since it's in Darryl K. Royal, Texas Memorial State. This Cajuns team, after that game, all bets are off. I know we got Liberty later on. That's probably one of those other games that could make the the realist take, the realistic take of 10-2 and two possible. I'd say probably the worst this team can do, in terms, of, in terms of the way I think about it, the worst-case scenario for this team is 8-4. and four. I know you could technically say 0-12, things go completely sideways, but we're not going to go that way. Because that's completely pessimistic. But, I mean, it's being, you know, pessimistic is all get-out. I think 8-4 and four is probably, I've talked about it a lot, LSU's floor is 8-4. and four. I think the Cajuns' floor is that way. Because what if Arkansas State, with Budge Jones, former Tennessee head coach, they get better. And you see them, because, again, for years, the Cajuns were able to start taking dominion over the Sun Belt West. It's a lot different looking division than what we saw over the last, let's say, three, four years. When Billy Napier took over, it became the Cajuns and everybody else. The second they went to divisions, this wound up being a very much Cajuns-lean thing. Obviously, when you play programs like Texas State who can never get out of their own way and you play a program like ULM who just needs to kind of reevaluate a lot of things revolving around them, you just start questioning how things go. And for me, I think the Gageons have every chance to win the West, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's a little bit tougher. Because I think Butch Jones... And we talked, we've talked. we talked about a lot, especially when it comes to Steve Sarkisian and a lot of other coaches that came from Nick Saban's Betty Ford clinic, if you will. I'll just go ahead and say it. Nick Saban is very much college football's Betty Ford. He gets these guys to come over after they've been ousted from their job for one reason or another. He puts them under his wing for, for a few years. Then they go get a big opportunity. Steve Sarkisian, I think he definitely needed a lot of, like, image rehab after what happened with the situation over in USC. I mean, the Sark After Dark stuff, that was a mess, if you remember that. Butch Jones may not necessarily have been, like, tumultuous as that one, what I mentioned with Sarkisian, but you've got to think a situation like Butch Jones having an opportunity to go coach again, a lot like Hugh Freeze. Because remember, Hugh Freeze a few years ago was an SEC head coach Four and Ole Miss program, that was looking better. Obviously, things just absolutely fell apart. But he's making a Liberty team after having a staph infection, where he was basically having to coach from a dentist chair for the first few weeks of the season, to having a Liberty team that was ranked in the top 25. When was the last time, like, before last season? Liberty, not necessarily like Little Sisters of the Poor, But nobody talked about them as much as they did last season. I like to a certain extent from a national, keyword national perspective. We talked about them a lot regardless. But from a national perspective, a lot more people were talking about the Cajuns than they had in the last like 10, 15 years. Not because they weren't good, but because they were performing, they were, I hate to say it, out kicking their coverage. That's where they were at. We're going to take a quick time out. We'll talk some stuff involving LSU football, and we'll get to there's a lot of stuff going on with LSU football, and not just on the field, off the field as well. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD right here on 1037 The Game and 1037TheGame.com.
0: to the pros and everywhere in between. I gave it a 10. A A 10. Let's get back under the dome with the world famous CD on Acadiana's sports station. 103.7 The Game.
1: Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana sports station. 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Definitely a lot to get to. A little longer break there is what it is. We'll be, we'll be kind of getting back into the groove of things here. But I saw this pop up the other day, and I'm I was kind of blown away by it. But former LSU offensive line coach James Craig suing the university for breach of contract after he after he says that the school violated NCAA rules when they parted ways with him several months ago, and they have also acknowledges that Ed Ozeron provided Craig a letter stating that. LSU had intent to fire him for cause, because Craig admitted to an NCAA enforcement official in May to visiting with and providing gear for a team prospect during the COVID recruiting dead period, and you also admitted to knowing such contact was impermissible when you engaged in the conduct. This knowing violation, blah blah blah, under the employment agreement, and that absolutely feels right, because again, it's for cause. I feel like he's. Like, if this is true, if these things are true and the allegations are there, I feel like his case, there's no, he has no legs to stand on right now. So I think at the end of the day, LSU probably isn't necessarily worried at all about the situation. They're probably, you know, he definitely knew what he was doing and we fired him. There was a reason it's for cause. And also probably to cover their backside when it comes to maybe potential investigations. We talked about it a little bit more last week, how they are extending investigations at in LSU football and LSU basketball. Definitely more about the LSU basketball side of things, but besides the point. And, you know, Craig mentions that he has never been issued a ruling or decision that he had committed a level one or level two violation or repeated level three or level four violations that the employment agreement would cause could provide a for-cause justification. Here's the thing. You don't necessarily have to be seeing like a violation, but if you do this ahead of time, you see things maybe be lessened. The, the boom gets lessened. Go look at the way things went when the Cajuns, for instance. The Cajuns a number of years ago had to deal with this situation. They had, to deal, they had to deal with this exact same thing when they had the recruiting violations come out, and they mentioned that they had like whenever they started hearing those footsteps of the NCAA come a calling in terms of their investigation, they actually wound up firing that coach that was a part of it and who, who let this stuff happen. And the NCAA saw that and saw the way they handled it, and they they self-imposed things. They did it themselves versus waiting for the NCAA to make a ruling. So I think that at the end of the day, again, I don't think that Craig, just based off the information that we're seeing now, really has a leg to stand on. Meanwhile, LSU fans who are going to the UCLA game in just about, again, 14 days. It's a crazy thing about it They were two weeks out from the season opener between LSU and UCLA and the season opener between Texas and the Cajuns. UCLA going to be having a week zero matchup, but that's a different conversation. But apparently, this came out earlier in the week, is that there is going to now be a mask mandation and it's required because L.A. County has issued a new mandate. So masks are going to be required. Still going to be full attendance, apparently. And basically, the mask may be removed briefly to eat or drink, but it must be immediately be put back on afterward. Now, when it comes to some other stuff, I have not heard. And I could probably look this up in a second, but but I'm again, this is based off of what we notice with the stuff going on with the Superdome. I have not heard that they are saying that you have to have your vaccination card with you in order to enter the stadium or a negative COVID test within seventy two hours. Have not heard that. There's nothing that says that even. So as far as I know, when it comes to UCLA, the Rose Bowl, which is by the way in California, where we all know, I think it's, been, I think we all know at this point, very much more left leaning, and you see a lot of other states that are probably a little bit more. I mean, we're seeing some, like some franchise, in the NFL, like the Las Vegas Raiders, for instance, in Nevada which I feel like probably is more of a, of a red state, if we're being honest, they are going with the vaccination cards. Now, again, it's going to be a case-by-case case county. We talked about the Ross. It's going to be much more – it's going to be an NFL mandate. It's going to be a case-by-case, state-by-state situation or a county-by-county, parish-by-parish. For example, New Orleans. New Orleans is requiring the vaccination cards over in New Orleans. There hasn't been anything yet in Lafayette Parish or, let's see, Monroe, Alexandria, all those different areas. It's just New Orleans. Las Vegas is doing that, and I feel like they're, I think that might go into effect just for football. I don't know if it's going to be going on because Las Vegas is hosting a major event this weekend in SummerSlam. It's tonight, which is weird in and of itself to have a WrestleMania on a Saturday, but whatever. Or a SummerSlam on a Saturday. There we go. But when it comes to the mask requirement, I'm not surprised. I feel like that's going to be an inevitability for a lot of programs, franchises, what have you, and arenas. They're going to have to deal with that for a while. Because the mask mandates are coming back. Now, in terms of the question of if we go back into a full-blown lockdown, I don't necessarily think so. I think at this point, especially America, I mean, Australia, they've, they've gone in and out of lockdown like, probably five times by now. But I feel like America at this point, they have, it's a lot like what I've talked about before. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube when it comes to going back into lockdown. I feel like America did it for a few months and now they like, you know, we're just going to go ahead and just like, we've had it to where it's been limited and we built it back up to where we're open again. And now we're pulling back a little bit, but we won't pull back entirely barring anything, like, completely absurd. Like, I just feel like that's the way it's going to go. Now, again, it won't be nationwide. I think it's going to be a state-by-state, parish-by-parish, county-by-county thing. just going to go ahead and reset that and then get back to LSU, because that's really what I want to get into. I hate to do the whole, like, stick to sports thing, but, you know, I want to get some of the stuff as well. But the defense is ahead of the offense after one scrimmage. That's really to be expected, though. Like, you go look at the NFL preseason. The NFL preseason is basically that. You've, your defense is going to be ahead of your offense after just one little scrimmage. It's to be expected. People keep saying that. People you keep hearing that from guys like Ed Oshawa,
0: defense-headed offense. No.
1: That's to be expected. It's been that way for years. The defense is always going to be a little bit ahead of the offense because the offense needs a little bit of time to get warmed up. That's why you're seeing in the NFL the over-unders hit below that mark. That's why you're seeing that. And we'll talk about the Saints a little bit later and my thoughts on the quarterback battle. But you saw it took a little while for the Saints to get going. You look at the Astros in spring training. It took a little while for them to get going. And that's how it's going to be when you start a season off, after you've been laid off in terms of not playing, not practicing for a few months, you need a little bit of run-up. That's why they have fall camp. That's why they have preseason games because that's when you take advantage of it. And I feel like you're going to see the defense be ahead of the offense after one scrimmage, maybe the second scrimmage, but the final scrimmage before Texas, before UCLA, LSU, I guarantee you that offense is going to be looking good. Guys like Brian Thomas. I, I'm, in, I'm interested to see how that wide receiver core is going to look. Who's going to be wide receiver one? Is it going to be Gayshawn Boutte or is it going to be Brian Thomas? I'd probably say Brian Thomas is going to be your wide receiver one, but it's going to be very, very close. We're going to take a quick timeout here. We're pass due for it, and we come back, wrap up the hour with a little bit of a different conversation. We'll get to that next right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com.
0: Numbers don't lie, because when you listen to Under the Dome with C D, your knowledge of sports increases by 141 and two thirds percent. And they spell disaster for you as sacrifice. Now let's get back to the genetic freak of sports talk on Acadiana's sports station. 1037, the game.
1: We've got a few minutes here to wrap up the show and wrap up hour one, I should say. We got another whole other hour left. But I saw this pop up last night, because I was I was listening to the Astros game, I was driving around and all of a sudden, the Astros are playing, and they're talking about the best ninety sitcoms of all time. By the way, the Astros won a huge 12-3 to win over the Mariners. Absolutely love that. I'm sure Kevin Foote is a little bit happier. Slept a little better last night after another Astros win, especially a glorious win. But Robert Ford and Steve Sparks talked about ninety sitcoms, the best ninety sitcoms of all time according to IMDb, because, again, it was it was 90s night at Minimate, so they started talking about that. And it got me thinking. This is what happens when I'm driving. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking about it. So, best sitcoms of all time. And I'll throw out my top five of all time right here to end the hour. And if you want to call, call in on the conversation, start hour 2, 337-706-0111. And first off, I'll throw this out. No cartoons, because that would probably eat up the entire list, to be honest with you. Simpsons, South Park, King of the Hill. Even View drama, technically did debut in 1999. I can't put those in there. I've got to go strictly towards the meat and potatoes. But I'll throw a technicality out there. Number five, Keenan and Kel. Theme song ruled. We play it at the end of this hour. The chemistry Keenan and Kel had every episode had you laughing. And I always will have a soft spot for this show, especially for this one line.
0: (laughs) No doubt. Number
1: four. I'll go with Boy Meets World. Always enjoyed this show. Every I, a lot of episodes, especially like in the middle of the row, like season four or so onward, they were phenomenal. And mind you, also you also had appearances from Vader. That alone puts you in the top five for me. Number three, I'll go Tim Allen and, and Home Improvement. No, there, there's no need for the. Uh, it's no doubt Tim Allen absolutely had something going with this. Jonathan Taylor Thomas. The entire show was great. Absolutely loved it. Always going to be a number three show. Number two is going to be Fresh Prince of Bel Air. I think it, it goes without saying. Will Smith. It was like a damn near perfect cast. And the, uh, Uncle Phil, the perfect choice for that role. It, 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 it couldn't have been done any better. So good. Absolutely loved that show. Number one is Seinfeld. I am going to put Seinfeld out there. It's so, I, I've always loved it. It's so just different and wacky. Always, I always have it. Whenever it's on, I'm always just like tuned in and watching it. Not like some other sitcoms from the 90s. But number one, Seinfeld. I'll throw in Sports Night, Frasier, Coach, One Years, S4 that also received votes here. Hour one done. Hour two coming up next right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com.
0: This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. It's Saturday. To take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 1037, the game.
1: And uh, welcome back. Hour number two of two of under the dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station. One zero three seven the game one zero three seven the game pretty darn good hour one. I think we'll have an even better hour two. Going to shift towards more of the pro ranks. More specifically, I think more of the Saints variety. We probably could get into some NFL stuff as well, especially Cam Newton, Mac Jones debate. But we got a lot to we got a lot of ground to hit in about fifty seven minutes, give or take a few. As I said, now hour one. We got a lot to cover.
2: To cover. There's, There's good, good news and bad news. And bad news. The, the bad, bad news, news is we're not gonna get to, get to it all right
3: here, right now. But, but the, the good, good news is, is I got the time.
1: And we got the time, and it's time to kind of get things going. Of course, we're coming to you live from the first South Farm Credit Studios. Hear
0: this worldwide!
1: And you can hear this worldwide on 1037theGame.com. The free mobile app. Heck, I'm seeing somebody from Finland. Listening in right now. Yes, you're right. Finland. Shout out to the Finland people. Or maybe they're using a VPN. I don't know. But Amazon smart speakers, Google Home, whatever. Also, you know, over here in the Acadiana area, we appreciate you if you're listening in through that FM dial, the tower of power that is 1037th game.
0: He is the tower of power. He is too sweet to be sour. He is the rap master. There is no other. There is no equal. The man.
1: And I gotta say, getting a lot of love from people in the text line, and I'm saying my personal text line, and they're agreeing. You know, definitely would put, you know, home improvement in number two. I think it's in the in that top three. It's bronze for me. It gets bronze medal. And somebody brought up in the text lines closer. Clarissa explains it all. There we go. And Saved by the Bell are top notch, and they should be in there. I put Keenan and Kell in there, and it was very, like, it was a tough decision. The committee was very much saying, do I put this in or do I not? And I did, anyways. Boy Meets World, even, even, I mean, it was primetime television. I should have picked more of the big three, but I wanted to throw in Keenan and Kell out there just to bring it up and also to play Eye Drop the Screw and the Tuna. I think it definitely deserves to be in the top five. And also, maybe we'll get to this with Ross Jackson, but I think it also deserves to be in the top five of like live-action kid shows of all time. And we got into it a lot more when it comes to you know the Nickelodeon shows, the cartoons back in the day, before you know the whole thing with CBS doing a Nickelodeon simulcast stream or or second stream. I don't know what you would call it, but the mega cast where it's on CBS but also on Nickelodeon. Which I honestly, I've talked about before. They need to bring that back. Like, I want to see a game this year on CBS that's using, like, Nickelodeon stuff. Like, you did it already? Like, do it again. Just do it again. It's not like the, I I talked about it last week, and I'll kind of double back to Saints talk in a moment. But i double back to my conversation about the Field of Dreams. And they are going to do it again. It's Reds-Cubs next year, which, really? You pick two of the worst. Like, I talked about it last week. Having a game where it's two really crappy teams, it's too, like, you have a bad game, it's going to ruin the experience. Chicago White Sox, New York Yankees, if you do it again, it needs to be those two. Even if it could be a bad game, it's still going to feel at least somewhat similar to the Field of Dreams game. That we saw the first time, and also in the movie, because it was about the Chicago Black Sox, which are now the Chicago White Sox, and the and the scandal with Shoeless Joe Jackson. It had something to do with realistic teams. Why are you going to try and like flip the script and have it be the other Chicago team that maybe doesn't necessarily have as much of a big fan base, and the team is literally has no star power, like compared to what they had a couple years ago? Because they a lot like the Nationals are trading off players left and right. And we're seeing teams just move all over the place. Why do this again? Like a second year in a row, and you have a, like a lesser value teams. You know, the Yankees have the name brand. Chicago White Sox, were, this year especially, probably an anomaly, but we're the hottest team coming out of the AL Central. So it, it it worked out in a sense. The Yankees always have the name brand. The Cubs have the name brand, but they're not that good. They're they're really not. Meanwhile, you have the Cincinnati Reds, which, all due respect to our guy Louis Prejean, now he's out in La La Land. The Reds aren't that necessarily that great either. They might like slip into a playoff spot, but it'd be probably be definitely more of a play in. I mean, they're better than I expected because I'm just looking at their their number, sixty-seven and fifty-seven on the year. They absolutely are going to be a team that is fringe playoff. Keyword is fringe. Because they have to deal with the fact that the NL West is likely going to get two wildcard spots. If things go the way it should go. Because, again, the Padres currently have the same record as the Reds. I didn't expect this to become a baseball segment, but I'll get to the Saints in a moment. And if you want to call up 337-706-0111. Three three seven seven oh six zero one 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 but right now I hadn't looked at the standings in a little bit mind you maybe this is the fact I'm not necessarily like all the way in tune with like sports as I was when I was still producing on a daily day to day basis but I hadn't necessarily looked at the nL standings I'm much more focused on the AOS the astros holding on for dear life this weekend needs to be huge because they haven't been great lately and the a's have been like five and five, the last ten games, you're two and a half games back. You're two and a half games up on the A's. You gotta extend that lead. You gotta push yourself out in front a little bit more. After the way you uh, c wrapped the bet against the Royals, because that was not a great look. But the Reds right now they're seven and a half back of the Brewers, but they have a chance because they hold the same record as the San Diego Padres. If the Padres fall apart a little bit further down the road, like the Reds could fall as backwards into a playoff spot. And what's really weird is the Giants. The Giants are still like leading the division. That's amazing because I was talking about the beginning of the year that I felt like it was probably to be the Dodgers and the Padres duking it out for that spot. The Padres just have been like snake bit all year, but the Padres are sixty seven fifty seven, twelve games back of the NLs leader. That's wild. You know, you look at the AL, it's still very much the same where it's White Sox Rays and Astros the Red Sox I mean I'll give the Yankees credit they're starting to get back into the swing of things because they've just had an up and down year it's been oh wait, you know highest of highs then you have the lowest lows especially when Garrett Coles out there pitching right now they're nine of ten and who knows what's going to happen later today because they're playing a Red Sox they played a Red Sox team earlier this week that's like a little bit more on that on that downturn But the AL Central is just, like, the White Sox to lose. Eleven and a half games back are the Indians. That's the next best team in a division. I talked about on the show, like, back in April. That I wouldn't be surprised if, like, the White Sox could be, like, the one that winds up winning it because it's such a mess of a league. mess of a team in a division. Then you get the AL West where it's largely Astros and A's. They're taking care of business against the Mariners, But the the four straight against the Royals you lost on top of losing on Sunday to the Angels, not necessarily the best look in the world, especially after where it's been up and down, but the last few games it was like just pop on. And then you got to deal with the Royals again (laughs) this week. you got a three-game series against them, and then you have a day off. Thank God you have a day off where you go take on the Rangers who are – just absolute dog meat, and you being able to beat the tar out of them. But there's been situations where the Ashes have lost to them. So you got two teams that you're playing that have literally the worst rec- some of the worst records in baseball, mind you. Nobody's worse than the Baltimore Orioles at a paltry 38 and 63. But you're playing a team in the Royals who has 53 wins and 68 losses, and you're playing a 42 and 80 Rangers team. Here's the thing. You're getting closer to the month of September. Get your bleeping wins in. That's all i got to say on that front. And I'll get to some Saints stuff as well because I want to kind of get reset the Saints preseason opener because I never got a chance to talk about it. I've got time. They had six turnovers in the preseason opener against the Ravens. We'll talk about about, about that more with Rawls. But I was like, what the hell is going on? And they could have won that game probably by, like, 30 points. And I'm being largely facetious. But they had an absolute chance to get that done. But they didn't. It Is what it is. Latavius Murray needs to be, like, hot hands handing the rest of the season. Because he had ball control issues like crazy to start that contest. We had two fumbles. And he had, a, like, he cost the Saints a touchdown in the opening drive. And Taysom Hill, we'll talk about him in a minute, he looked good. You also had Brett Maher continuing to be, like, a curse. He pulls his groin on game day. He's like, oh, I'm ready to go. And then pulls his groin. They don't kick a field goal at all that on Saturday. And it got released. Another log on the proverbial Saints curse theory I talked about last week. Latavius Murray, we talked about him. But they also had some other stuff happen this week, and this actually came out a little before the show started, and I'll bring this up if you haven't seen it yet. The Saints signed a kicker Aldrich Rosas and safety Jeff Heath. They waived Doug Peterson's son Josh Peterson, and they. Uh, this one sucks. They placed Tommy Lee Lewis on the injured reserve list. He's out for a while. That sucks. And you know are without Slant Boy, and now you're without Tommy Lee Lewis to start the season, it's going to be fun to see how it all turns out. But Marquez Callaway, he's probably, once Thomas comes back, he's your like wide receiver, too, in my mind. He's starting to prove himself a lot more than Traquan Smith ever has. And if Taysom does indeed start for this team week one against the Packers, he is going to be Hill's security blanket. He's going to be what Thomas was for Breeze and also Jimmy Graham was for Breeze at one point in his career. There's no doubt in my mind. But speaking of the quarterbacks, and Taysom Hill. I've been thinking about it. Who has the edge in the quarterback race? And I have been adamant, I'm not a huge fan of Taysom Hill as a quarterback before this season. I'm starting to turn around. I'll admit it. I am turning around because he looked like an honest-to-god QB in that opener. I didn't he didn't run. He didn't have a single rush recorded. He didn't have like happy feet. He felt like he was comfortable in the pocket enough. And the offensive line does help matters, don't get me wrong. But he had some really good connections. Mind you, I think that neither guy had a true edge. But I wouldn't be surprised if Sean Payton looked at the film and said, hey, this is a guy that I think we're going to wind up relying on a lot for this team. Because Jameis Winston didn't show me anything that really, like, truly stood out in his nearly a quarter of play. Ian Book looked really good, but I'll save him for later. But Jameis Winston had moments. He threw a TD. Well, Taysom didn't. In terms of sheer stats, Jameis Winston held, holds the edge. But I think you look outside of that, he had a bad INT ball at the end of the first quarter. And one thing we've talked about, the Saints... They've got Jameis Winston there. The biggest concern for him, the biggest bugaboo, has been interceptions. And he did it off of a deep ball. It was almost an arm punt, basically. But it's still not a great look if you're a quarterback. One of your first passes, it's an interception. Thankfully, the Saints defense stood up and didn't have, allow a like, damn touchdown for like the first half, which was, again, we talked about it earlier with the LSU Tigers. The defense is always going to be ahead of the offense in the first game. And there are moments where a guy like, you know, Zach Bond. Zach Bond looked godlike in some situations, which, for once in our life, we actually have a good linebacker core. That's great. Secondary, eh. I mean, Trace McSorley... Tore it up a little bit later on in the game, but again, that was probably more your second stringers and third stringers. You don't have Cam Jordan out there. Honestly, I have didn't mention this last week, but I should. Alvin Kamara and Cam Jordan should not be anywhere near a football field right now in terms of an actual preseason game. Put these guys in a hyperbolic time chamber for the next like two or three weeks. That way they are ready and healthy to go. They're, they're just good to go. Just freeze them like Encino Man and just have them sit there for a few weeks. Put them on ice, proverbially speaking, or literally. The technology's there. That way they can just rest up, recover, and when they come back, they're ready to go. That's where I'm at. You don't need to risk it. Especially with somebody like that. As Cam Jordan gets hurt, that defensive line takes a dive, I think. I, I didn't see much, about, much of Peyton Turner, or at least anything really worthwhile. With a guy like David Onyamata gone for the regular season, I think we see Peyton Turner probably play more in the defensive tackle position, more so than the defensive end slot, especially if Marcus Davenport steps his game up. And apparently he has. I think he is hearing the footsteps rumbling, and he knows if he doesn't perform well here, he is not going to get his nut. He's not going to get his opportunity to make money. And that's huge for him. going back to Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston. Taysom Hill, in my mind, after week one of the preseason, has the edge. And I want to see more of him. And I think he looked like a better quarterback than I thought he was in those fill-in games he had last year. And I think Taysom Hill and Sean Payton have something worked out where Taysom Hill looks like a true, honest-to-God quarterback. That is huge. Now what happens after that is anybody's guess. All right, it's Under the Dome with CD. We'll be back with more Hour 2. We've got more coming up next right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. We'll get to some thoughts on Ian Book. and We're also going to have Ross Jackson on to talk about that weird Monday night game against the Jacksonville Jaguars next
0: Most sports talk radio shows go up to 10 on the amp. But Under the Dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you
3: just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder. These count to 11.
0: Now back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana's Sports Station. 103.7 The Game.
1: Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD. We'll have Ross Jackson on probably the next 10 minutes or so. If you want to call up and talk some Saints, 337-706-0111 is the place to be and the place to dial up. But I'll, I'll say this. like My thoughts have changed at least somewhat on Ian Book. Because I sat here right as he got drafted, and I was absolutely apoplectic. I couldn't stand the fact we reached for this guy. Didn't necessarily think he was going to be that good. Oh, and behold, I think the store, the book's not out on him. And the story's not out yet on him, but I did like what I saw. And I felt like, you know, maybe we there is some potential. I am going to, like, tone it down a little bit when it comes to him. I'm going to say he's he's good. He's got potential to grow. But I'm not necessarily sure he's going to be, like, the guy again. I think he's – he like, – I'll say this. I'm going to take my foot off the gas on the he's going to be the next Garrett Grayson take because I felt like that was where he was going to be. That's where he's going to land. But he proved to me that he put at ease a little bit more me being super concerned about the Saints' future because if Jamison Taysom don't work out and you're left with Ian Book – as like an absolute last resort, this team's gonna be a mess. I still think the team may not necessarily be able to get to a playoff win with him, but I think I 'm much more at ease with him being the backup to the backup now if you comes a starting quarterback it's a different conversation because then we gotta kind of reset the entire thing we gotta basically reset the carousel if we see Ian book out there in a regular season game that matters and there's things going on. And it'll also make you wonder if hypothetically, and again, I think this is the way the season's going to go. I wouldn't be surprised if Jameis Winston does get the start week one because he's the veteran and it'll have proved he'll i have beaten him out. But there's going to be a caveat. Jameis Winston is going to be on a very short leash. I don't know what it's going to be. If there's a number, if there's a certain play that if Jason, if, Jameis Winston doesn't work it right or to Sean Payton's liking. He's being pulled in favor of Taysom Hill. There's a card in Sean Payton's deck that is going to say one free Taysom Hill. He is going to use that card if Jameis Winston is the starter. And a second he slips up or something goes wrong, Taysom Hill is getting in there. And then Taysom Hill is just going to have that spot. That's what I think. Now, if that comes to be, it's a different conversation. I think that there's definitely going to be a leash on Jameis Winston if he's a starter. If it's Taysom Hill, it'll be Taysom's Hill job until he screws up royally. I just feel like there's a shorter leash on Jameis Winston because Sean Payton likes Taysom more. But if Taysom Hill gets injured and Ian Book starts, that's going to show more of a condemnation of Jameis Winston, and then his career in the NFL might very well be done. And I've said it probably like four or five times in the past. Back when he was with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you have all the stuff going on with him and the, the lawsuit about the Uber driver, or what have you, and all the stuff that happened. Florida State, I started to think that Jameis Winston's career might have been done probably about three, four years ago, that they didn't age well. But I'm giving him an opportunity to prove me wrong and be a really good quarterback in the NFL. That's all we ask if we're Saints fans, is that the guy that's in there performs well. Because we've gone through a lot. We we did the exercise a few weeks ago. There are a lot of dog you-know-what QBs that the Saints have had. You only had one really elite one in Drew Brees. I think Bobby Bear probably gets deserves some love. Archie Manning, again, product of his time, probably could have been a lot better. But at the end of the day, I think Peyton Manning is always going to be one of the best of all time. I think he's going to be considered, if he was a Saint, he'd be considered one of the best. But I think that's where it's at. Like, I want to see who's going to have the edge. And what do you think? Who has the edge in this quarterback battle? Let's go out to the 103.7 three seven Game hotline real quick before we take another quick timeout. And hey, Let's see who we got. Hello, you're under the dome.
3: Good morning, Mr. World Famous. How you doing today? Hey,
1: Jamie, What what's going on, brother?
3: Not a whole lot, man. Look, I'm loving the show today. I love your uh, impressions of, of Coach O and Tim Allen, man. Those are spot on. It's great. I appreciate and, that. Uh, shout, shout out to your Finnish listeners. You really are world famous, my man.
1: <laughs> I know, right? I, 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 I saw that pop up. Like, I mean, hopefully it is actually someone from Finland, not like somebody using a VPN and using like a Finland <laughs> server. More power to you if you're using a VPN, but still.
3: Right. Look, I just wanted to go in on the Jameis Winston and, and Taysom Hill, and it's this. Right, you know, ahead. I'm a San Jose Buccaneers fan, uh, and I wasn't very – with Jameis Winston and his time with my team but I just gotta say he has the talent has the ability and if he's given a fair shake he'll win that that starting role because as much as I love Peyton Hill he's better in a joker role than he is as a quarterback man and I don't think there's anything he can do about it at this point in his career because he's just I don't want to say he's old but he's old no I mean he
1: is old I mean he's He's my age. And I hate to say that. Like I, I'm I'm not I don't feel like I'm old in that sense, but it's like in terms of the NFL, he's old. But at the same exactly. time like like but but all right, stay with me here, Jamie. Do you think that based off of what you saw in that one preseason game, I know it's glorified practice, but did you see a better quarterback than what we saw in those like rehearsal games, if you will, whenever he was playing in the set of Drew Brees when he got injured?
3: You know, I, I, I don't really pay much attention to the preseason. I mean, I watched a little bit. I didn't really get to watch a whole lot of it. Um, but the fact of the matter is most of these professional athletes in preseason, unless they're fighting for a roster spot, they're not giving it their all. And I don't think that we're going to really see until week one, week two, you know, all their, you know, all their uh, tools that are in the toolbox. But I will say this, out of the two of them, you know, from what I saw, I still think Jameis is the better candidate to be your starting quarterback than Taysom Hill.
1: All right, so you bring up Jameis Winston, and I brought it up just a moment ago. Do you agree with my take on there, if Jameis Winston is a starting quarterback, there is going to be a leash on him?
3: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no, there's no denying that Sean Payton absolutely loves Taysom Hill. Um, and brought Jamison just kind of as a backup to the backup last year and then uh, realized, oh, hey, maybe he's a little bit better than we thought. Um, but, yeah, there's going to be a leash, and I don't think it's going to be a very long one.
1: Exactly. Uh,
3: but even, even if something were to happen, I don't think it would be the end of his career. I think he'd be able to go to another team, but uh, I don't know that he'd uh, have the uh, prestige At another team. Well, he does uh, later on.
1: Like for me, you know, just kind of, and I'll let you go after this. But looking at how it is with with Jameis Winston, I'm just more thinking about it in terms of relating it to Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater was able to parlay five games where he was five and zero into a deal with the Carolina Panthers and getting a decent sized deal to go play for them. Now he's now he got traded. That's a different conversation. He was able to parlay that into money if you're if you're basically going to be the backup and there's nothing really on film that says hey look what he did look what, he was able to parlay a let's say x and x record and if he's going to largely be the backup for the 2021 season and if, and you look at the film he has it's out there the 3030 season the last time he was an actual starting quarterback you got to start really questioning what the future holds especially when you look at some guys coming out of the 2022 class who are, like, are you going to, is he just going to be a journeyman going forward? Because, I mean, you're talking about Taysom Hill being old. Jameis Winston ain't necessarily a spring chicken either. <laughs>
3: True. <laughs> yeah, no, I, and I, I do agree with you. And the, 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 the thing about it is, you know, uh, with Teddy, we see where that got him. I mean, he yeah, he converted into money, but he hasn't been successful as a starter. He wasn't successful in Carolina, and I don't see him being successful, uh, where is he, Denver, I think? Yeah, Denver. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't see him having much success there either. And it's the same thing with Jameis. If if he you know does have to go to another team if something happens, I don't think he'll ever be a starting quarterback again. I think he'll be a, a journeyman backup. But there's nothing wrong with that either. I mean, look at uh, uh the former Saints backup. What's his name? Daniel. Uh, Chase Daniel. Chase Daniel is that his name?
1: Yeah, Chase Daniel. So, I I don't know how he was able to because again, he never really played worth anything. I appreciate the call, Jamie. Chase Daniel never really did anything of note, never really put up a win-loss record. But somehow, somehow, he was able to parlay that as a backup quarterback under Drew Brees into, like, probably the best deal, if you want to be in the NFL, that's the best deal you want, is to be a guy that's holding the clipboard and never has to play it down and is getting paid gobs of money. I don't know how he did it. I don't know how he did it. We'll take a quick time out. We'll get Ross Jackson aboard the program next. Right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com.
0: The famous CD is a five-tool player of sports talk. He can talk about a lot of different things, even some soccer. Fuel Manchester United, I suppose. Sing the Manchester United song. Okay, maybe not soccer. Back to Under the Dome on 103.7, The Game.
1: Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD. you hear that music, you know what that means. We got to get into it with our guy and chop it up a little bit with Ross Jackson, Locked On Saints podcast and Canal Street Chronicles. Ross, what's going on,
2: brother? Hey brother, doing well, man. Glad to be back here with you. Hope you holding up all right. I'm holding uh, up. Season's coming along quick.
1: <laughs> exactly, <laughs> we're just a few short weeks away, and it's gonna be weird because, like, I've been getting conversations with the people because we're doing a lot of like, fantasy football leagues here at 1037. The game, and somebody mm-hmm. was saying like, "Oh, hey, you know, we got a league that's coming up that's gonna be on the September the eighth, the day before the league starts." And somebody was convinced the league, the season was starting on the fifth. I'm like, no, the league starts the next day on the ninth with the Cowboys matchup, and I was like. It's weird to think because you only have three preseason games and you got a week off in between that. It's, it's so weird, but right. at the end of the day, I'm not complaining. The fact we've got three preseason games.
2: Yeah, no, not at all. I mean, look, I think the three preseason games still gives you the opportunity to get a full evaluation of your team and for the coaches to be able to get those players out there. And they're essentially, for the most part, across the NFL, they're treating preseason games 1, 2, and 3 the same way they treated preseason games 1, 2, and 3 for the you know, standard four game. preseason to where that third game is a bit more of a dress rehearsal. That fourth game, though, getting lost does, you know, come with some issues for the guys that are trying to make rosters, trying to get a job and things like that. But, you know, the majority of guys that end up making the roster do so within those first three games. And then of course, training camp and practices leading up. So I think that, I mean, with the shift to a 17 game schedule for certain, uh, you know, you still want to make sure that these guys aren't adding a whole new game to their to their regiment if you will so I, I like the fact that they went down to the three preseason games this year but i also like that they kind of kept the time similar in terms of how these teams balance their rosters and how they balance getting ready for the start of the season because they kept that additional week in there still
1: oh no i'm kind of in agreement with you there and you you look at the way things were in that preseason game on saturday and now they've had they have a few extra days before their next preseason game which is by the way, isn't that just weird? We'll get to some of the other stuff that happened in the Ravens game. But isn't it weird? We have a Monday night like football game, and the Saints are playing, and it's preseason.
2: First game back in the Superdome that is allowed to be full capacity, and it's a preseason game on Monday night football. It's just kind of a weird, weird uh, kind of uh, moment, uh, you know, in terms of this this sort of journey back to normalcy or as close as we can get back to it as quickly as we can. And uh, it, it's strange. I mean, it, it's a weird schedule altogether. I mean, the fact that we were able to watch two games on Friday night, then we've got like five games on Saturday today, or more than that. We've got you know a handful of games on Saturday, and then we have this Monday night game after the Saints played a Saturday night game. So the schedule's kind of wonky and all over the place. But, hey, you know, it's the NFL, so they want to try to get their product out as much as they can.
1: And you bring up the fact it's like this will be the first game inside the Superdome since the, pan- I mean, the pandemic's still going on. But with full capacity, it's the first game ever of the Caesar Superdome era. How cool is that? That, right. that we get to see like, the new name and everything, and we're already seeing the signage up. It's like, why can't we have like guards dressed in togas and stuff for this? Like, <laughs> like just go full bore with it for like and like for this preseason game to kind of just do away with it. Just have fun with it for a moment.
2: Yeah, for real. Just kinda of lean into it and really go for it. Get a chariot going down Portress instead of the streetcar driving people around. Hey, let's have some fun here. No, I think that it's I think it's pretty cool. I mean, I love the new name, I love the new sponsorship, I love the the head, the the little emblem up at the top of the dome instead of the Mercedes Benz uh emblem and everything. I really like Uh, everything about the branding of it and sort of what it brings. And, you know, I mean, like Caesars is also one of the NFL's three uh, official gambling partners, along with guys like FanDuel and DraftKings. And so it also opens up this really interesting future when it comes to sports betting, right? Can you, in, in a few years, is, is there going to be a sports book within the Superdome that you can go to I'm all for and it. bet you know, and everything? I, I think it's great. I think it's a really, really good step forward and another potential money-making uh, avenue for the state of Louisiana.
1: Oh, no, it's huge. And, you know, you think about it, the sports betting is going to be absolutely to the, like, through the roof here. The second these things open up, I was seeing, you know, my daddy wanted am going to casino not, not too far down the road and saw that they're converting sports bars now into sports. And to a certain extent, sport books. That way they can have mm-hmm. that and, and get that revenue flow in. I, at first, we were thinking, you know, obviously New Orleans, I think some like Lake Charles absolutely would, is going to be making major bank. And I mean, they're opening up another casino, and I'm sure that's going to have a sports book in there. And you're to get, right. the, get a lot of money from the state of Texas because Texas already comes to gamble enough as it is. A sports book, they'd be flying over there.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you end up bringing in folks from all these other spots where you can't do it. Just like we saw, you know, just like we've seen in the past with Mississippi, right? Like people going to Mississippi to go to the sportsbooks there and making the trip to to do that. I think you'll see that same type of draw, and you know, it, it helps to further the tourism industry, and it helps to further, of course, the the to essentially its own industry and create its own industry within the state of Louisiana that becomes an attraction to the state surrounding.
1: Talking now, Ross Jackson locked on Saints, Canal Street Chronicles. Now let's get into the actual stuff that happened on the field and start off with, obviously, the biggest question, quarterback. Do you think, I started just based off of what I saw, yes, preseason's glorified practice, but I think Taysom Hill has the edge at quarterback after one preseason game. What about you?
2: It's interesting. I, I, I actually gave from the first preseason game, but then the practices afterwards were a bit inconsistent. And that's where I think that Taysom maybe either evened it up or potentially stepped ahead. But based solely on the preseason game, I actually gave, the day to uh, to Jameis Winston, but then you saw Jameis Winston, you know, reportedly in the practice in the Superdome last night with a big 80 yard touchdown to Chris Hogan. Uh, so you know he's not. Neither of these guys are going away quickly. And, and the good news for for New Orleans for the New Orleans Saints and New Orleans Saints fans is that it's clear that the decision that's going to be made at quarterback is going to be based on who won that competition, as opposed to who lost the competition, because. These guys are so consistently neck-and-neck neck throughout this entire battle so far. So I look at Monday as potentially being a big-time, I don't want to call it a solely deciding factor because there's so many things that have to be you know, factored into this decision for the Saints in terms of who's going to be that quarterback after Drew Brees. But Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill have a really unique opportunity ahead of them in terms of the importance of Monday night's game to be able to you know, get to the point to where they are very clearly ahead in the conversation because both of these guys want to kind of get to a point to where they leave no doubt, right? You want to get to the point to where you are the clear and obvious winner of this competition. And game time is a really good place to do that.
1: And speaking of game time, one of the big things that I just took away from it was is the fact that you have Jameis Winston named the starter for week one. That feels like it was already predetermined before this game even happened. He just announced it yesterday. Do you think it's more? Yeah. Like, do, do you think there's more to it than that, or is this just more? Oh, wait—the hey, rotation that we he, keep hearing about.
2: Right. No, you're absolutely right. It, it's the rotation. Um, you know, Sean Payton said to to us in uh, you know, to to uh, Louisiana media, New Orleans media, that the intent was that he would pick a starting quarterback to open up the first series in preseason game one, and then they would rotate it, and then that other quarterback would start the second game. So this was. Very much predetermined. It seemed to make perfect sense that Jay- that Taysom Hill would get the first swing when it came to game one, because he you know has been with the team the longest. He got the first reps during training camp with the first team. They you know I mean you're you're treating seniority essentially at that point when it comes to Taysom Hill and his history with the organization. And so the fact that Jameis is now getting these first team or the the opening snaps, the starting snaps for. This uh, game against the uh, the Jags on Monday is not a surprise, even though it was just announced.
1: No, I'm I'm kind of the same way. I was just thinking is like, some people might think that oh hey he's given Jameis Winston the opportunity to start and maybe or maybe he's given him a little bit more love than Taysom Hill after Week One where he looked where both of them looked good, but they had moments where you were wondering like what the hell's going on? Right. But one thing that I did right. take away from him was. I'm almost certain if Taysom Hill does indeed start for the team Week 1 against the Packers, Marquez Callaway is going to be like the security blanket to Hill's Linus. Am I wrong?
2: No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, hopefully it doesn't come with a dust cloud, too. But when it comes <laughs> Who would be down- Pig Pen? <laughs> Say again. Who would be Pig in this situation? Who would be Pig Pen? I don't know. Hopefully the Packers, you know, hopefully the Packers in that situation. But, you know, it, it's a tough one because, I mean, I think that Taysom Hill will have a lot of weapons around him to choose from that he'll be comfortable with. They might not be household names, but they'll be guys that he's comfortable with. He, he and Marquis Calloway have been working together since Marquis Calloway came into the NFL because they were both working second team snaps oftentimes, or even third-team snaps in, in, in practice all throughout last year. So they were really, really close. I talked to Deuce McAllister last year during that four-game stretch where Taysom Hill uh, ended up taking over for Drew Brees, and one of, the, you know, one of the questions that I asked him was, who's the guy that's on the second or third team that Taysom has a lot of reps with through practice that could end up being a benefit to him during these four games? And he specifically mentioned Marquez West Callaway. Now, of course, the security blanket during that time ended up being Michael Thomas, who we targeted thirty seven times over those four games. But regardless, you know, you're not going to have Michael Thomas here. So if if Taysom Hill is the guy that opens up week one, I think Marquez Callaway as well as Alvin Kamara become the big time security blankets for him. And I know a lot of folks like to make you know, like like to make us think about Taysom Hill not targeting running backs, but I think that if you if you isolate the most recent game that he played, which is the Philadelphia Eagles game, wherein he targeted um, Alvin Kamara 10 times or 10 plus times in that game, I think you could see a concerted effort to change that. And certainly I got to witness a concerted effort of that being changed throughout training camp.
1: Talking now, Ross Jackson, Canal Street Chronicles, locked on Saints podcast. And one of the other things I took away from the preseason game last Saturday was without a doubt, Tavis Murray. I think, it, I, I know it's against the rules, but I feel like somehow all during like camp this week, he had to have been practicing like hot hands handed to be able to hold on to the ball somehow, some way. It was just like the dude just kept dropping the ball. I mean, you had him like the first drive, they had a chance to score, and he fumbled, and he had a fumble later on in the first quarter. It was like, what is going on?
2: Yeah, he had a a rough go, and, you know, all three running backs that touched the ball that day, just like all three quarterbacks that took snaps that day, had turnovers. And so I think that, you know, ball control itself was just a big emphasis all throughout this week at camp. And, you know, so Latavius Murray has the fumble in that game. And I think, you know, I don't think that it spells anything on the wall. You know, it doesn't write, you know, there's no writing on the wall in terms of Latavius Murray. I, I think Latavius Murray is still your running back, too. It's that, you know, the thing you kind of have to keep in mind and that I try to remember, particularly in first game, like first preseason game fumbles, is that this is the first time that another team is hitting you and another player is hitting you with full contact with the intent of getting a job, right? And if if you get past me, I could lose my job while you get yours. And so I have to hit you (laughs) and I have to hit you hard. And so, you know, it's different than when you're in practice and everybody's, you know, not really tackling, but wrapping up and there's not full contact. And Even when there is full contact, people aren't really trying to hurt each other. You know, they're trying to make sure that they don't hurt each other. So the contact isn't quote unquote full in that case. And so I think that that's a big part with the most not the most recent to be in negotiations but before that when they took away most of the contact practices one of the things that you see is these ball carriers who struggle when all of a sudden contact is back and i think that's what you saw in preseason game one so it'll be interesting to watch that in preseason game two to see is it a habit or was it a or were they a victim of circumstance throughout that game
1: one more before i let you go ross obviously monday night you've got the big game against the jacksonville jaguars we'll be seeing trevor lawrence in action what are you going to be looking for out of this second game of the preseason? He's obviously I think we a lot of us are going to focus on the quarterbacks, but what are you more specifically going to be kind of tuned in on?
2: Yeah, uh, great question. I, I think, obviously, paying attention to the quarterbacks, certain things you want to see from both of those quarterbacks and, and see if you can check those boxes. That's absolutely there. But I, I'm also continuing to pay attention to the defensive line. Mark, is had important how to stand out performance? I'm interested to see who's going to be the on the offensive line for these quarterbacks as well. Sean Payton did mention that some starters that didn't start in Game 1 will play in Game 2. So are we going to see the bookends or one of the two bookends between Ryan Ramchick and Teron Armstead, and how does that help the quarterbacks that are going to be playing with them? Is Alvin Kamara going to take some snaps, things like that? But on the defensive side, I want to see if Zach Vaughn can follow up an extremely strong performance that from the one that he had in preseason game one up against Baltimore. Can Paulson Adebo follow up a strong performance that he had in the first preseason game as well? And then I'm just looking as well to see where the defensive line continues to get its snaps. Uh, Peyton Turner has been out. He hasn't been available. So how does that affect the rotation on the defensive line? Do we see David Onyemata continue to take these snaps off the edge? He played more off the edge and he played on the interior during that last game and if that's the case, who are the guys that step up in the interior? Shy Tuttle slowly crawling his way, climbing his way back up from you know he kind of went down the second and third team, now he's climbing his way back up the first team I'm paying attention very much to his performance as well as the guys along with him on the interior like Malcolm Roach Jalen Dalton and uh, Christian Ringo to be uh, those, those for certain
1: Ross, thank you so much for coming on my man, we'll talk to you down the road, enjoy the rest of the weekend dude
2: Yeah, absolutely, you as well buddy, stay safe and I'll talk to you soon, soon.
1: Alright, Ross Jackson, everybody, you can follow him on Twitter at Ross Jackson Nola. We gotta take a quick timeout, wrap up the show with one final take, and we'll wrap it up next.
0: Just before we close up shop here on 1037 the game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it gonna be a hot one? Or is it gonna be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. So last night,
1: if you aren't a wrestling fan, you missed out on possibly one of the coolest moments in television. Like it was literally just I was gobsmacked. Like I knew I we kinda all knew it was coming, but the second you heard the music, you sat there, just in awe. And at first, like five minutes of AEW Rampage and the like the 20 minutes after you were just entertained and I've talked about it a lot because everybody who knows me I'm a wrestling fan fully admit I have a podcast on tape right after the show this was without a doubt one of the greatest moments in wrestling history and I think I can say that it speaks to something I've said before when wrestling's good it's really good. Like it, When it's bad, it's got all. But when you have moments like CM Punk in the crowd and like shaking hands with everybody and just cutting a promo with ev- with the crowd just sustained for like 20 minutes and just cheering their heads off, it felt like part. And at the end of the day, that's what you want from sports, that you want from sports, entertainment, pro wrestling, whatever. You want to be entertained. And by God, we were entertained. And it was possibly the most amazing thing that wrestling has done in a long time. And hopefully, this is the start of really cool stuff happening inside the 20 by 20 squared circle. That's what I got for the show today. We, we hit on a lot of different things. My God. A lot more than I thought I was going to. But that's sometimes a good thing, if not a great thing. Peace out, everybody. Back with you next week. From 10 a.m. to noon. And we're going to get into lot more College football. Because the week before the start of the season, we're getting some – I'm working on it now, getting scouting reports for Texas and UCLA next week. So keep it locked right here on Acadiana Sports Station. We got Astros starting around 3 o'clock. So keep it locked. On 1037, the game under the dome of CD is gone.
0: Wake up! The show's on. Oh yeah, kick it!